I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, my name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 9. John 9. So uh, remember, in John calls miracles signs, and there's about seven of them, I think, in the Gospel of John. And all of those signs or miracles are meant to reveal something about Jesus' identity. They're a sign. They point to something beyond just the actual act itself. And so this is a sign story in chapter 9. There's a, a sign story, there's some controversy around it, and then Jesus explains it. And so as we're reading it, I want you thinking, what does this tell me about who Jesus is? What is Jesus trying to communicate about his identity through this sign? As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. A man blind from birth, sorry. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Ah, it's gross. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and they see a guy who's been blind from birth. And so the question that the disciples ask is a question a lot of us ask when we encounter suffering, which is why. Why him? Why her? Why me? Conventional wisdom is that sin is associated with suffering, or suffering is associated with sin. If you're suffering, if you're sick, it's because God is judging you for some sin in your life. That was the conventional wisdom of the time. And so the disciples want to know, well, whose sin is he suffering for? Since he's been blind from birth, was it his parents' sin? Exodus 34 says that God punishes the children to the third and fourth generation for the sins of their parents. And so is this, is this an example of that? God is punishing him for things his parents did. Or there was even some belief that you could sin in the womb. I've never been pregnant, so I can't really speak to that. I'll leave that to the moms. Maybe you can think about what your kid did to you in utero, and you can decide if that was a sin or not. But that was the thinking, is that you could sin in the womb, and they want to know. And Jesus doesn't answer. He doesn't bite. He says, this isn't tied to this guy's sin, and it's not tied to his parents' sin. They want to know why, and Jesus doesn't answer. But he does speak to purpose. Purpose and cause are not the same thing. He doesn't talk about the cause of the blindness, but he does talk about the purpose. He says the purpose of this blindness is so that the works of God would be made known in this man's life. As long as it's day, that is, as long as I'm here with you, We've got to do the things, that the works of the one who sent me. And we saw that includes healing. At a minimum, it's healing because that's what Jesus does. Uh, Jesus heals this guy. And the night's coming. Nobody can work at night. And while I'm with you, I'm the light of the world. And that I'm the light of the world, that's the key statement. That's the only identity statement in this chapter. And so this is a sign that is supposed to, I think, Help us understand what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. What does it mean for him to be the light of the world? This miracle is supposed to help paint the picture for us. So he makes 
mud with his spit and puts it on this guy's eyes. And then he tells him to go wash in a pool, which to me is a pretty risky thing to tell a blind man, go find the pool. And I guess you hope he doesn't fall in. And, but he washes his eyes and he can see and he goes home. And this interesting to me that people don't recognize. And the only thing I would think would be different is his eyes work. I would think he would look the same. In general, maybe he's the kind of guy that people avoided. He would have been a beggar. That's the only way he could have made a living. And so maybe he's a guy that people in town tended to avoid. And so they're not exactly sure, is, is this him? Or maybe it was because the miracle was so astonishing. They were thinking, there's no way that can be the same guy because he was blind and now he can see, and that doesn't happen. People don't leave in the morning blind and come back in the afternoon able to see. So they're, they're a bit at a, at a loss in terms of what to do with this guy. And then in verse 13, you'll see what they choose to do. They brought this man to the Pharisees. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. So that's important. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked this man how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. So some of the Pharisees said, this man, that is Jesus, he's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about Jesus? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he'd been blind and received his sight until they sent for his parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who'd been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, how, how did he, what, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you, want to become, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So the Pharisees, the, the neighbors bring this guy to the Pharisees. I don't think they're trying to get him in trouble or Jesus in trouble. I think they don't know what to do with him. And so it's a, it's a pretty big phenomenon, and so they go to the experts. They go to the Pharisees, and like, here. And now the Pharisees are faced with a dilemma. So they have a guy who can see that's incontrovertible. You can't argue with that. He, he can see. And he's saying, this morning I couldn't see. I was born blind. Jesus, told, Jesus made mud, put it on my eyes, told me to wash off in the pool, and now I can see. So the dilemma for them is this guy who can see, who was saying it was as a result of a miracle that Jesus performed, and the fact that that miracle broke two of their rules. So you're not allowed to heal a non-life-threatening illness on the Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday. So on Saturday, you can't heal an illness unless it's life-threatening. Blindness is not. 
Also on Saturday, you can't make mud with your spit. It's true. You couldn't. They said Pharisees, I read this, Pharisees, because they didn't want to accidentally make mud, if they had to spit, they were walking down the road, they'd spit on like a tree or a rock, something where there's no dirt, because they didn't want to accidentally make mud. And so I think that's why Jesus made the mud. I don't think he was being gross. I think he was being provocative. I think he did something to deliberately push the Pharisees. to kind of. He, he's backing them into a corner, in a sense, to say, I think it's still with... He's still got a hand out to him saying, hey, wh- give me a chance. Can you see who I am? Are you willing to, to respond to me? And so he pushes them in a way that, caught, that they've got to make a decision. There's a guy, and like this guy says, we've never heard anybody doing this kind of thing. A man who was born blind who can now see. That's a, it's this phenomenal action which breaks two of their rules. Those rules are not found in the Old Testament. The Old Testament says don't work on the Sabbath. It doesn't define work, and it certainly doesn't define it at that level. So those are some, those are some ideas that they had come up with over time, maybe with good intentions, but at this point there's so many rules around what work is, it's choking the life out of people. And they can't get through that to see what Jesus has actually done. There's this little sliver of an opening where a few of the guys are, are saying, hey, can a, could a sinner do this, really? Do we really think a blasphemer, a heretic, a child of the devil, all the things they've called Jesus up to this point, do we really think someone like that could do this? But in, it seems like almost as soon as they say it, they close ranks again and everybody gets back in line. They've already decided anybody that says Jesus is the Messiah is going to get kicked out of the synagogue, which is a big deal, much bigger deal than if we tried to kick somebody out of this church and there's a hundred other churches that you can go to. There's one synagogue in the town, and that was not just the religious hub, but also the social hub of the Jewish people. So you'd be cut off from your friends, and you'd also be cut off from God. Huge deal to be excommunicated from, this, from the synagogue. It was something that was a common form of discipline at the time. And they've already said, that's what we're going to do to anyone who says Jesus is the Messiah. And when they bring the guy back in, they say, we know he's a sinner. They're not even giving him a chance. So whatever little opening there was, do we really think a sinner could do this? Closes really quickly. So what, what do they do? They have to discredit the miracle. They're not willing to say Jesus is the Messiah. They're not willing to give Jesus a fair hearing. So they say, we've got to discredit this miracle. And so they bring the guy's parents in to say, is he really, was he really born blind? And the parents say, yeah, he's our son and he really was born blind. Well, then how, how can he see? And that's when you can see they're scared. They say, well, he's an adult. He can speak for himself. Think about the parents. You, I would think that... This is the best day of this guy's life. Never been able to see, and now he can. Nobody's celebrating with him. Everybody is, they're interrogating him. They're trying to figure out if he really was blind. Has he really been blind his whole life? Was he faking it? What did Jesus do? What does he think about who Jesus is? And I'm, he's kind of going, hey, I, I can see. That's a big, and nobody is, nobody, there's no joy. The Pharisees have kind of sucked all the joy out of the moment. But I was thinking of his parents, it, 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 for them, how they would feel if the conventional wisdom is this guy's born blind, either because of sin in the womb or because of his parents' sin. If you're a parent, how guilty are you feeling? This guy's whole life, you're thinking he's blind because of, maybe because of something I did. And he's being punished for it. And now he can see, and they can't even celebrate because they're so scared. So they can't discredit 
that part of the miracle. They can't because the guy truly was blind and he can now obviously see. So now what they try to do is bully this guy. So they bring him back in in front of their group. They say, give glory to God, which is another way of saying telling the truth. We know Jesus is a sinner. And this guy's going, I don't know about that. That's y'all's, y'all are the religious experts. All I know is I couldn't see and now I can. And it's because of what this guy told me to do. And they say, well, tell us what he did. And, he's, and I think at this point he's frustrated. And you can hear the sarcasm kind of seeping into his voice. And he's saying, Why do you, I've already told you. Do y'all want to be his followers too? And then they go kind of ballistic and you know, we're followers of Moses and we don't even know where this guy's from. And again, you hear the sarcasm. And he says, well, that's something. Y'all are the religious experts and you don't even know where he's from. And look what he's done. Look what he's done. He says God doesn't listen to sinners. You can't press that too far. I think what he's saying in the moment is, so he prayed for, to God for me to be healed and I was healed. And the conclusion you draw from that is that he's a sinner and not sent by God. How does that make sense? He prayed for me to be healed, and I was healed. And the conclusion that you draw is he's a heretic or a blasphemer, not sent from God, and he's a sinner. We know that God listens to people who are obedient to him. So how in the world are you assuming, how can you conclude that this guy's a sinner based on that information? So then they just tell him to shut up. Shut up. You don't know anything. You've always been a sinner your whole life, and they kick him out of the synagogue. Here's the... Jesus explains what he's doing. These last six verses are the most important. Jesus heard that they'd thrown this man out of the synagogue. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said, For judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and that those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with Jesus heard him say this, and they said, what? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So this is Jesus explaining the sign to us, and there's a contrast between this blind man and the Pharisees, this man who was physically blind, He was also spiritually blind, and he realized that. Jesus finds him, and it seems that Jesus was looking for him. So it makes me think that opening his eyes was the means to have this conversation. And so he says to him, basically, do you believe in the Messiah? The Son of Man is a title for the Messiah. You can find it in Daniel 7, 13, and 14. It was also how Jesus referred to himself. So what he's saying is, do you believe in the Messiah? And the guy says, who is he? Remember, he's never seen Jesus because the last time he he was blind. He couldn't see until he got to the pool and, and Jesus wasn't there with him. So he's seeing Jesus for the first time. Who is he? Me. I'm the, the, the one you're looking at. I'm the Messiah. And this guy says, I believe, and he falls down and he worships Jesus. And then you have this contrast with the Pharisees, people who can see with their eyes and who think they can see with their hearts as well. They think they have physical sight and spiritual sight. And there's this play on words, and this is my kind of take on what this back and forth, the parentheses are my take on it. For judgment I've come into the world so that the spiritually blind will see spiritual truth and reality and those who think they can see spiritually, that's the Pharisees, will become spiritually blind. So the Pharisees say, are we physically blind like this guy was? And Jesus says, if you were physically blind, you would not be guilty of a sin. 
But now that you claim you can see spiritually, your guilt remains. The issue for the Pharisees is that they claim that they can see when they can't. That's the issue for them. It's their pride. They believe that they have spiritual insight, and they don't. They're completely missing who Jesus is. And so you have the irony of a man who's blind and who people assume his blindness is connected to his sinfulness. And he now can see spiritually. And these Pharisees whose eyes work and who people would say, well, if anybody knows anything spiritually, it's them. They're the religious experts of our day. And they're blind and they don't even know it. And that's why they're condemned. And that's an easy hook for us as we think about what does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world to us. Jesus wants to open the eyes of our hearts. He wants to open our spiritual eyes. And what that requires from us is a posture of humility towards him. And it's what the Pharisees didn't have. The Pharisees weren't willing to acknowledge that they may be wrong. They weren't willing to acknowledge that they actually may need a savior. Many of you have already made that decision. You decided a long time ago, I'm a sinner and I need somebody to rescue me. And so you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. He's forgiven you of your sins and you've been reconciled to God as a son or a daughter of his. But that's an ongoing posture for us. That's not a one-time deal. In Proverbs and James and Peter, we read that God opposes the proud like the Pharisees. But he gives grace to the humble, like this guy who says, I can't see. Who is he? I don't know. God gives grace to the humble. Grace is the good things that God gives us that we don't deserve. And he gives those things to people who recognize their need for him. People who would say, I don't need that. When God says, okay, then you're not going to get it. You can get whatever you deserve. That's what Ultimately, that's where it gets for the Pharisees. The Pharisees get justice. They don't get grace. You don't want justice, and neither do I. We don't want what we deserve. That's not, it's not going to be good for us. We want the good things that God chooses to give to us graciously. I was thinking it would be easy for us, maybe, if we were like this blind man and our spiritual condition matched our physical condition or if our physical condition matched our spiritual condition. That's a better way of thinking of it. He couldn't see with his eyes and he also couldn't see with his heart. They were parallel. And I was thinking, like, what, what about us? What if we struggled with envy? What if we actually turned green? I guarantee you that you would pray before you left to go to work in the morning and say, God, I need help because I'm green with envy. What if you struggled with anger and you literally had steam coming out of your ears and your face was so red it looked like it was about to explode? I guarantee before you left to go to school or work in the morning, you would say, God, I need grace because I got steam coming out of my ears. My face looks like it's about to explode. What if you struggled with forgiveness and you had this huge weight tied to your ankle that you drug around everywhere? You would probably pray and say, God, I need grace to forgive because this is getting really heavy, dragging all of these offenses around behind me. It's that guy in the Fantastic Four thing, the orange thing, isn't that his name? Who's hard. What if we were resistant? What if our hearts were hardened to the Lord and that's what we became on the outside? We would recognize our need. Our physical condition rarely matches our spiritual condition. We, we, we can't see sometimes the places where we need grace, where we need Jesus to move in our life. Again, this is not just an issue of a one-time decision to follow Jesus. It's an ongoing reality 
for us. And so my question to you this morning is, is do you know? Do you know the places? Are you willing to ask the Lord, can, can you show me, God, where I'm being a, like the Pharisees, where I think I can see, but I really can't, where I'm blind, and I don't even know I'm blind. That's a scary spot to be. God, I need you to help me. Jesus is the standard for us, and we all know that we fall short, and that gap, we can either ignore it, which is what many of us do. We rationalize our behavior, minimize, justify we're, we're really good at that. It's part of being a human. We're really good at that. Minimizing the gap between Jesus and us. And so some of us tend to do that. It's, it's, we intentionally close our eyes. We blind ourselves to the reality of the places where we come up short. Some people realize that there's a gap. And their response is, I've got to work really hard to close the distance. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm, I, I shouldn't be envious. I shouldn't covet what someone else has. I should be content with what he's given to me, and so I'm going to work really hard to be content. Or Jesus says I should respond with patience and self-control, and my tendency is to respond with anger and rage, and so I'm going to, get, I'm going to work really hard to be more patient and to demonstrate more self-control, and that ultimately we wear out. We wear out doing that. We try to finish in the flesh what we began in the spirit, and it's doomed to failure. What Jesus says is acknowledge your need for me. Acknowledge your need for grace. I'll, I'll fill the gap. You just got to ask me to do it. You've got to acknowledge, God, if, if I leave this morning without your grace, then I'm going to wind up coveting the life of a lot of other people because I think they've got it better than me. God, if I leave this morning without your grace, I'm, I'm going to rip somebody's head off at some point today. I'm going to do that because that's my track record. And I need your grace to give me patience and self-control. God, if I leave this morning without your grace, I'm, I'm going to carry, I'm just going to accumulate offenses all day long. I'm really great at keeping a record of wrongs. I don't forget anything. And I'm going to drag all of those things with me. If you don't give me grace to release people and to, for, to forgive them and to allow you to judge them instead of me judging them. Do you know the places where you're coming up short? Can you see? And if you can't, that's great. Just ask the Lord to open your eyes. God, give me eyes to see. That's all the Pharisees had to do. They didn't even have to get it right. They just had to be willing to ask the question. And the one time the guy asked the question, would God really do this if he was a sinner? He gets, it just kind of floats away almost as soon as he says it. The rest of the group can't get their minds around having to say, we were wrong. And maybe Jesus really is the Messiah. Ask him this morning, what's going on in my heart? Are there places where I'm blind and I think I can see? We're going to close with communion. And uh, always during communion, we pray for people who are physically sick. And that can be difficult for some people, particularly if you have a chronic illness, because it's almost like salt in the wound. I've been receiving prayer for this for month after month or week after week or year after year, and I don't see a lot of things changing. And, and one of the reasons we pray is because of what Jesus says in this passage. We, he invites the disciples. He said, we're going to do the works. We've got to do the works of the one who sent me. In John 14, 12, he says, when he goes to heaven, we would do greater things than him, if you can fathom that. And so that's one of the reasons that we pray for healing. In James 5, he explicitly says, if you're sick, pray for healing. And so that's why we do it. And that's why we'll continue to do it. But I recognize it can be difficult for some people to engage because it feels like it doesn't do me any good, or it hasn't helped, or 
I'm frustrated or, or what, or the, I just live with this. And so this is super simplified. But when I think about praying for healing, I see three possible outcomes. So you come forward today and you get somebody to pray for you for healing. Three things are going to happen. One is you're miraculously healed. You go back to your seat and you're all better. And then you have a testimony to God's power. God's work was manifested in your life, which is what Jesus said the purpose of this guy's blindness was. You have a testimony of his power. God may choose to heal you and often does through kind of natural means, through medicine, through physical therapy. Sometimes it's just through rest. Our bodies are pretty amazing in the way they can bounce back from things. And, and that's great. It's the same result. It just takes more time. But it's the same result that no more pain. And I'm saying no pain. That's my bumper sticker for shorthand for whatever's going wrong with you, not being wrong with you. Anymore, And you also have a testimony to God's providence, the way he works through doctors and medicine and rest, the way he's created us to heal ourselves in some ways. You have a testimony to God's providence. And some people, you won't, you won't be healed. And we don't know why, but you won't be. And you'll continue to struggle with, whatever, with the pain, whatever that is. But you also can have a testimony. And it's the same testimony Paul has in 2 Corinthians 12 when he says to God, I've got this thorn in the flesh. Will you take it away from me? We don't know exactly what that is, but it was something sufficiently aggravating to him that Paul said, can you take this from me? Three different times Paul asked, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take that away from you. And so it very well could be for some of you, and again, we don't know why. Nobody knows why. Jesus doesn't address cause here. He just addresses purpose. And the purpose of that could be that you would have a testimony of God's persevering and enduring grace in your life. You haven't been healed, but God gives you the grace on a daily basis to continue to live and even to thrive with whatever that condition is that you have. And we're going to pray in February, and we're going to pray in March, and we're going to pray in April, and we're going to pray in June, and we're going to pray in 2019, and 2020, and 2021. We're not going to quit. We're going to continue to pray for God to miraculously heal people and trust that he will and know that everybody won't be miraculously healed. Many people will be healed through more through these medical natural ways, and that's excellent too. And there'll be some who won't be healed until they die. They'll carry a chronic condition with them for the rest of their life. And recognizing for, for that group, you, still, you need grace. I don't want you to cut yourself off from the grace that God wants to give you to heal you or to help you endure with that condition. I hear some people talk sometimes like, well, this is just my cross to bear. That's probably a misapplication of that verse. I don't know that your sickness is a cross that you have to bear. That's something that Jesus bore for you. But I, I understand what you're saying. But to try to do that apart from his grace to me doesn't make sense. He wants to sustain you, so give him the opportunity. And the way I would encourage you to give him the opportunities to ask him to heal you. That's our responsibility. His responsibility is to decide what that looks like, when and how. That's his job, not ours. Our job is just to ask. And when you ask, what you're saying is, God, I need your grace. That's what you're saying. God, I need grace. And maybe he heals you miraculously. Maybe he heals you medically. And maybe he gives you grace to continue to live with the pain. But either way, what you're asking for is his grace, and, and it very well could be there's a testimony that comes out of that. His works are still manifested in your life.
even if you're sick. It's a testimony of the fact that he is sustaining you on a daily basis. So I want to, I want to be sensitive to people who have chronic conditions, and I want to encourage you to continue to ask Jesus to heal you. That's a way of saying, I need grace in my life. I need your grace. Does that make sense? Good. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion. You come up a row at a time. You'll break off a piece of bread. You'll dip it in the juice. There's gluten-free here on the corners. You can get that if that's what you need. And we'll have ministry teams here up in the front. And we'll pray with you about anything. And I do want to strongly encourage you. We want to pray for you for healing. I don't care how many times you have or haven't been prayed for. And what they're going to pray is for God to heal you miraculously. Again, that's kind of our job. And so that's what we're going to ask him to do. And he will or he won't. And that's his responsibility. But we're going to ask because that's our responsibility. They're going to make a little cross with oil on the backside of your hand. That's what James 5 says to do. And they're just going to pray in faith that God would heal you. And, and what, what they're saying is, God, this person needs grace. And then God can decide what that grace looks like. If it looks miraculous, if it looks like you go to Ryan Cantwell and he helps you as a doctor, if it looks like he gives you grace to continue to, to live and, and to thrive with whatever that illness is that you happen to have. Also, I want to encourage you as you're coming forward, there's an interesting story at the end of Luke, Luke 24. It's the Sunday of Jesus' resurrection, Easter Sunday. And he's, there's some guys walking to a town called Emmaus, and Jesus connects with them, and he's, they're excited. And he says, what are y'all talking about? And they say, how do you not know? And they start talking to him about his, his, de- his death and resurrection, but they don't know it's Jesus. And they get to this town, and Jesus is going to keep going. And they said, would you stay with us? And he eats with them. He breaks bread. It's not communion. It's a real meal. But when he breaks bread, the Bible says, well, then they could see him, and they could recognize. They, they, they could, their eyes were open, and they could recognize who Jesus is. And so as you come forward for communion, I would encourage you to say, as you take this bread that symbolizes his broken body, ask him, say, I want to see. I want to see the places where I'm coming up short. Not so I can beat myself up and not so I can try harder. We say all the time, Christianity is not about making good people better. It's about bringing dead people to life. And so what we want to say is, Jesus, show me, give me eyes to see. Where am I coming up short? Where do I think, maybe, where do I think I can see and I'm really blind? Where do I need your grace in my life? In a relationship, in my character, in a decision I have to make about my future or my, my business, my family? Where, where do I need your grace in my life? Show me. And allow this communion to be an expression and even a promise of his grace. In Romans 8, Paul says, Will not God, who's given you his son, has not spared his son, how much more will he give you all things? And so you can come forward confident that God will give you the grace that you need. So I'm going to pray. You pray along with me if you would. If you're helping with communion and uh, you're on the ministry teams also, if you would come forward. Ministry teams, you guys can get those little vials of oil and the baskets. If you're on a ministry team but you're not on to help today, um, why don't maybe you can help today just to make sure that we don't have to have a long line of people. Thank you. Just get a few, couple of more teams up here I think would be good. If you want prayer and the teams are full, just have a seat on the front row until one of them is open.
God, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. We thank you for his life and his death and his resurrection and all of the benefits of Jesus' obedience that are available to us, that because of his obedience, all of our sins have been forgiven. All of our diseases are healed, that he redeems us from the pit and crowns us with love and compassion, that he fulfills our desires uh, with good things, and he renews our strength. And God, I pray that uh, by your spirit that you would make those blessings known in our life today. We want to receive all of those benefits as much as possible today. God, I pray for anyone here today who's still standing under guilt and condemnation. I pray that they would know the freedom that comes from your forgiveness of their sins. God, we do pray for those who are sick, particularly those who are chronically so. We pray that you would move in their bodies, that you would miraculously heal them today. That your works would be manifested in their bodies as a display of your love and your power and your goodness, demonstrating that your kingdom is coming and you're pushing back the kingdom of darkness. And God, and we also recognize in all honesty that not everyone who's sick will be healed today. And we pray for those who will walk out and still be in pain or their body still won't be quite right. And we ask for grace for them to endure and to persevere. God, I pray that in their hearts they would know that they haven't been they haven't been forgotten you're not ignoring they're not loved less they're not screwing up more and being punished God I pray that you administer grace to those who like Paul for whatever reason, are not being healed. God, I pray for, the, for all of us, each of us, this morning that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that you would be not just the light of the world, but our light. Show us the places where we're coming up short, not so we can beat ourselves up, but so that we can be quick to ask you for grace, to cover the gaps, to fill in the gaps from where we are and where you would have us be. So would you come, Holy Spirit, and work in our lives and work in our bodies in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all come forward a row at a time. Kim will kind of signal you. Then you can receive prayer as you need it and slip back to your seat.